Welcome to the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. I'm your host, William Cheshire. Join me in learning about optimistic solutions to some of society's problems as we interview entrepreneurs, small business owners, and employees, among others, working to provide solutions and bring positivity into the world. It's another edition of the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast, and in this episode, we're talking about a disability that you may not know about. I have the founder of Global Vision 2020, Mr. Kevin White, with us today, and his company offers the UC Vision Kit. Kevin, how are you? Doing great, Will. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And Kevin, I wanted to bring you on and chat with you today because what really interests me about what you're doing, well, number one, it's fantastic that you're providing uh, the UC Vision Kit and glasses and, and making vision available to people in kind of remote parts of the world. But I find it really interesting because for people living in America, Europe, Australia, you know, places like that, we don't even, I'm, I'm sure people wouldn't even really think of vision as a disability, but it is globally a huge issue. And what you're doing is providing a solution to that. So I'd like you just to kind of tell us a little bit about your solution and what Global Vision 2020 does and provides. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Well, thanks for the opportunity to do this. Um, it's great to get the word out and to kind of raise people people's awareness that, that, that this is an issue. Uh, like you mentioned, this is the world's largest unmet disability. And a couple of years ago, the New York Times called it something, you know, the, the one that you probably never heard of. Poor vision, we completely take it for granted, you know, that we can correct that solution here in the U.S. You know, the, the local optometry is just around the corner. You know, we have one optometrist for every 8,000 people or so. And in parts of the developing world, those numbers are closer to one to one million. Last I checked, Ethiopia, for instance, has 100 million people. They have 75 optometrists. So even if you had $200 sitting in your pocket and you and you wanted to get in that line to go get, you know, an, uh, it's just no, there's no access to it. And in remote areas of Africa and, and, and even, even Central America, South America, they're, they're just not there. They're all in the hubs where they can make money, obviously. So access is a big thing. And without it, you know, you, you can't drive, you can't make meals. If you need near, if you have near vision problems, you can't sew, you can't thread a needle. All of these silly things that we take for granted are, are impossible if you don't have a pair of eyeglasses. So I had worn glasses my whole life. You know, I remember waking up and having to find my glasses just to see the, the clock on the side of the bed or go to the bathroom. Uh, but it wasn't until about 2005 when I discovered how big of a problem this was in the developing world. So I used to be a Marine. Uh, you know, I guess I technically still am a Marine. <laughs> Once a Marine, always a Marine. Uh, but I'm a former Marine, retired Marine at this point. But in 2005, I was running the, uh, the humanitarian assistance programs for the Department of Defense in Africa and Central Europe and, uh, and Eastern Europe. And the first uh, deployment I went on in that capacity was with a, we set up a hospital in remote parts of Morocco and they were giving away donated eyeglasses. And as a professional logistician, I was, you know, really just taken aback at how inefficient the system was. You know, no one got 20-20 in both eyes and people were literally choosing the frame style that they liked as opposed to the prescription that they needed. So they, the, which obviously was not going to be a choice for them. They, they had what they had. And I saw a young woman, you know, pick a pair of eyeglasses. They, they gave her these massive, you know, probably don't remember Farrah Fawcett, but Farrah Fawcett had these, you know, massive rose colored eyeglasses. And she, you know, she's like, no way, no way. She kept pointing to the table, you know, she wanted these little thin Sarah Palin things and she put them on, you know, and they, they didn't work. She put them on the end of her nose and she walked out thinking, 
well, not knowing what, I didn't know what she was thinking. You know, maybe she thought, well, I know I need eyeglasses. Those look like the ones I would wear and maybe I'll get used to them. And it was just, I said, man, there has got to be a better way. So since 2005 until today, uh, I've either been working on it full time or working on it part time to kind of get to where we are now and make my company and kind of help address this massive global issue. Yeah. And you mentioned a little bit about Africa, parts of South America and Central America as well, and Asia as well. I'm curious of really the ways that you kind of discover these communities and kind of go out and actually do the outreaching. Do, do you work with coordinators from those from those countries and things of that nature? Does it stem from your experience in the military with the with the Marine Corps or or how does that kind of work to a point where I mean, I feel like that's a problem in and of itself is just finding these communities and, and then creating that system for access. Yeah, so so most of our, our you know customers, we'll call them, the, the people that take these kits and use these kits are already there doing good work. So they're already there, uh, you know, doing training and education programs, or they're doing uh, running schools, or they're helping farmers. They're doing these sort of things. So we allow them to kind of bolt on this additional capability of screening and dispensing eyeglasses. So they're the customer that I'm looking for, the people that are already, you know, traveling to these communities or supporting these communities. Because this, at the end of the day, we really want this to be a community, you know, uh, self-sustaining, that the community themselves can can get these kits and can provide glasses for their for their communities. Um, and it's and when we talk about the system, you'll see how simple it is. But yeah, so finding those communities is really about access to people that travel there and are doing things there and are supporting communities in those locations. So whether it's churches, we have we have we have a faith-based coordinator who works with churches that travel. We have an African operations coordinator. He is calling the ministries of health uh, in these different locations, different countries, and the national eye health coordinators, and kind of you know selling them, as it were, on the capability of these systems to increase their access. So remember how I talked about this one optometrist every one million people? So if, if the bottom of my screen represents 100% of the, the population, you know, the umbrella that covers eye care is covering about 10%. So what we're trying to do, of course, is just make that umbrella bigger and cover everybody. Now, the optometrist would still be in that top 10%, but your non-eye health professionals that get training could screen for and dispense eyeglasses and then those that these glasses don't help could then matriculate up, you know, get triaged up to that next level of care, whether it's an optometrist or an ophthalmologist, whatever at the top of that pyramid, they could, you know, like if they don't have uh, refractive error, they've got macular degeneration or cataracts, they would just go up to that next level and next level. But by creating that really large umbrella, you can get universal coverage for the biggest problem. 92% of eye health problems can be solved with a pair of these right here. Wow. That's see, that's really fascinating to me. And and the fact that you kind of you've talked a little bit about the system, but the levels that you have as well. And uh, you mentioned a faith based organization you work with. Is, I feel like that's not I don't know, maybe I'm just wrong here. And, and, you know, I'll ask you for this opinion as well. But I feel like maybe that's not as commonly utilized or anything. Like, maybe in, in those other countries when you using them as a resource for companies of that nature to try to get to those points or. Uh, well, Mo I forget what the numbers are, but it's a really high percentage of the medical community in the developing world is run by faith, whether it's Catholic Charities, whether it's um, World Vision, whether it's um, Samaritan's Purse. You know, most of them are started off as faith-based outreaches and have become 
you know, a healthcare provider in a lot of these a lot of these communities. So they they are one of the first access points that can kind of show efficacy, that can show that the system works. You know, we're we're we're, we're supporting a, a startup program with the Red Cross. And Red Cross, obviously, people don't really associate it as a as a Christian organization, but you know, that Red Cross means something to somebody. You know, it it is it did start off as a faith based group, and it still is at its core. And and then delivery of eyeglasses to their health clinics isn't based on the faith of the people they're supporting. It's just, you know, it's just based on the organization providing care and support to people in in underserved communities. So yeah, it's it's a it's a great sh- it's a great way in to kind of show that the system works, and you know, we've we've had a lot of success there. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that that stood out is I wouldn't have thought to use like a faith based organization or another organization as like a, a terms of a team that would be capable to provide kind of that medical or I guess, you know, smaller medical attention that you would need to distribute those glasses. So I think that's pretty neat uh, and an opportunity to kind of really expand that without having to just push forth a bunch of new optometrists or things of that nature, which would prove to be quite a challenge. Yeah, I mean, just creating an optometrist is is a challenge in and of itself. I mean, a lot of African nations are starting to have colleges where they have optometry, um, but they're all supported by, you know, either Fred Hollows, uh, you know, so an Australian group that trains optometrists. They, you know, they set up the curriculum, but there's only, you know, small numbers that graduate. It's still extremely expensive to do that, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen thousand $16,000 of education, et cetera, over those years and getting, producing enough, you know, we'll just never get there. So the way I tackled this was, you know, we, we have to rethink about how we can address this, this issue. And I actually looked to the I call it the regular medical community, you know, the, the not the eye medical community, but normal health. Uh, and as a, for instance, I, you know, a, a really good example of that is is Plumpy Nut. So you probably have never heard of Plumpy Nut, uh, but Plumpy Nut is a fortified, it's like like a peanut butter or nut spread, and it was invented by a French dietitian or a pediatrician slash diet, dietary specialist. And what he noticed was millions of African children were dying every year from malnourishment. So he said, How, what's, this, what's the easiest, simplest, best way to prevent this? So he created this plumpy nut. He fortified it with all the vitamins and minerals that, that they needed to sustain, you know, healthy growth and eye development and all these other things and started providing it. And then he basically came up, I think, with four or five different ways to, t- you know, the, the age of the baby, the height, the weight, the, the dimensions of the wrist, the dimension, you know, those sort of things came up with it. The health worker could put in those parameters and then it said, okay, this is the formula. This is how much plumpy nut you need to give them. And it saved millions and millions of lives. But if, if you know, if, if you have a, you had a child here in, in the United States that was malnourished, you couldn't just give them plumpy nut. You know, they have to go to a doctor and, you know, figure out why, what's going on for obvious reasons. We have a healthcare network that can support that. Um, but you, in, in resource scarce areas, you sort of have to come up with different and other ways to get to the same end state, which is a healthy child or a, a person who can see with the resources that you have, which are not optometrists or doctors, it's going to be somebody else. So that's kind of how I went into this thinking about this was how do I make it so simple that a Marine could do it or you know, that anybody could pick up this system and just run with it? 
Right. That's and only I can make that joke. You're not allowed to make that joke. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I can't resonate with that to me. Uh, so that seems challenging <laughs> enough as it is. <laughs> um, Kevin, one thing that, that I want to ask as well and have you kind of explain a little bit because I do think that this is probably lost and people I, I would imagine never think about this at times is, you know, what are some of the side effects to a community, to an economy, to all these things when you don't have people that are able to address such a large disability when you don't have people with vision. That's a lot of impairment. It's something that I don't think any of us think about because it's, it's not an issue, but it, I would, I would imagine there's a lot of problems that, that come with the inability to see properly. A absolutely. So I guess what I can tell you is that we, there are, there, the people are studying the issue. What is the effect of glasses upon a community? You know, so we can, we can think we can, we can summarize or, you know, a, extrapolate what we think is happening to communities where where there are no eyeglasses and you know and, and anecdotally what i've seen but what we know is that you know there was a study a couple of years ago uh where they put eyeglasses on tea pickers and so what you know so what was the impact to the tea picking so their productivity increased 34 percent their pay increased 20 percent uh you know all of these these factors just from wearing like a, a $2 pair of, of reading glasses in that instance. Uh, there was a study in China that showed children that needed eyeglasses were one or two years behind their counterparts and, and eyeglasses because they just couldn't, they didn't learn as quickly because they're visual, you know, most children are visual learners. Um, they don't have ebooks and, and, you know, books too much. They, everything's on the chalkboard or on the whiteboard. So they're just sitting there struggling. They get labeled as bad kids. They get moved to the back of the class, worst place you could put them because they just simply can't see the chalkboard. So anecdotally, you know, I met this child in, in uh, Namibia two, two years ago. And I'm, you know, talking to the teacher. I said, so what's, you know, what's the story on this guy? And he goes, oh, he's been in second grade for three years. And if he fails this year, we're just going to send him back to the farm, to, to his house. And I'm like, okay, well, how well does he see? And she, and she was like, see, what are you talking about? You know, he's, he's like everybody else. He's, he's fine. I said, okay. Sure enough, the kid was like 2,200. I mean, he couldn't see like a six inch letter from, from 20 meters away. I mean, it was just, it was, it was terrible. So dialed him in. Yep. Sure enough. He needed pretty heavy prescription, put him on. And he was just like looking around, like, this is what the world's supposed to look like. And uh, so what I like to do is when I, when I give someone a pair of eyeglasses, I'll take them off, go outside and I'll, you know, I'll say, Hey, what do you see? And, and then they'll tell me and I'll put them on. So this kid, I said, all right, took his glasses off. I said, what do you see? And he said, Oh, I see the hill. And this this village that was in was kind of wrapped around this big this big hill this big piece of terrain in the middle was sort of defining their village and they were wrapped around it and then the river was on the other side and uh, I said okay we'll put on the glasses he put on glasses and I said okay what do you see and he stood at the bottom of the hill and just went to describing every I see a bush I see a rock and then I see my friend I see a goat and he's going and he's going and he's going up and up and up the hill and at the top of the hill were these two trees. And he starts screaming, I see the two trees, I see the two trees. And I'm like, oh, okay. And the principal, I said, hey, what's the deal with the two trees? And he goes, oh, you don't understand. His whole life, this kid has heard, we're the village with the two trees. You know, you, you go down, you go down this road, you take a left, you go to the village with the two trees, you take a right, you know, blah, blah, blah. They didn't, they went, they had a name, but everybody referred to it as the village with the two trees. He'd never seen the two trees. So when he saw these two trees, he was like, I see the two trees. He was just screaming. It was, it was, it was really cool. I was getting all, you know, just so happy for him that he could see. And he was just, just a great kid. So it was nice to see a transition from someone who, whose world was about, you know, as far as his fingertips open up to, you know, the infinity that, that it's, that, 
it's possible for this kid now. What a great story. What a great story. Yeah, can you imagine? I would love to have been there to see the reaction as well. That's that's a really cool idea to where you do that. And and yeah, I mean, the effects are, are obvious, right? I mean, the kid uh, that was sitting in the front now goes to the back, couldn't see anything. Uh, now, obviously, the vision is enhanced, and I would imagine things probably make a lot more sense <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, um, he, passed, he passed the second grade. We did hear that he passed the second grade. <laughs> see, there it is, the, the vision. That was the issue. And, and they wouldn't, it, it just wasn't thought of to address that. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, if you have no solution to a problem, then, you know, you just have to figure out, OK, this can't be that much of a problem or, or something. It's, it's something that they hadn't really thought of. And it was it was nice to see the the principal and the other teachers realize, huh, these kids aren't stupid. They just have these vision issues. So. Right. And tell us a little more about the UC Vision Kit, about the solution and how it works and why it's more uh, affordable and why it works better than, than maybe other types of glasses and things of that nature as well. It, what makes it stand out to be such an effective solution? Yeah, sure will. So this doesn't it doesn't look like much. So this is this is the UC right here. Uh, and what it is, is a, it's, a, it's a progressive lens in, in front of each eye. It goes from, for those of you that, you know, that you listeners and viewers that will know a diopters. So a diopter is a measurement of, of degree that your, your, your focal point has to move back and forth. So if you're one diopter, you may need to move one millimeter. And if you're three diopters, then three millimeters and so on. So this lens, and, it, and again, I'll show it for, the, for your viewers. As I pass it through the monitor here, you'll see my face get smaller and smaller. So we're getting into the negative six range. And as I go back over here, we'll get into the, so it changes the focal power and the focal length across the eye. And then you, that little viewing aperture here, you see right here, the patient's looking through that, that spot and they're turning this dial. And as they turn the dial, you see these numbers change. So what they'll do is they'll dial through and they'll stop and go, okay, oh, I can see clearly right there. So I go, all right, you're on a red four. Then I'll reach into my big bag of colored lenses and I'll grab the red four out of the, out of the bag, you know, the bag here. And in this bag is a lens. And that lens, as you can see, has, makes my face smaller. It's, it's got a, it's a negative one and a quarter or so. And then they pick a pair for a frame that they like and we give them, you give someone a choice, you know, always want to give choice. So we've got kind of a reddish burgundy here, a black and a and a turquoise. And they're they're fashion conscious, so they went with turquoise. <laughs> you pop out the Plano lens, and we add a Plano lens so that in case they only need prescription in one eye or if they're blind in one eye, you don't have an open hole. Then you just line up the the lens and then it just pops right in. And then bingo, you make a pair of eyeglasses. So you have them do both eyes, obviously. And the reason I came up with it was I've been working with with a fluid-filled pair of eyeglasses, a, a pair a pair of eyeglasses that was designed to be the end product. And what happens in here is you've got the silicon uh, syringe, and you turn this dial, and it increases and decreases silicon pressure. It changes the shape of the lens. Then you tighten up this little screw here, cut off this this tube, and then this, this, the tube gets removed. It, and you, you crimped basically you crimped the plastic tubing and and you make these pair of eyeglasses now i don't know about you but I, you know i would wear these you might wear these uh, i could not get a 22 year old african male to wear these at all i, I went back you know and they're and they're thick you know they're about 
about six millimeters thick. They're very heavy. Um, they slide off your nose. There's lots of issues. And these are still about $25 a piece. So for many reasons, I, you know, I thought I came up with, the, you know, these, these aren't going to be the long-term solution. You, you know, they're, they're too heavy. The, the fluid itself, if it leaks out, it's, they're no good anymore. If air gets in, sometimes you'll see air bubbles in there. And, and people just wouldn't wear them. They have to be round, et cetera. Now, those, that's changing. There's, there's new technology coming out that makes them much, much, much better. But I don't know if we'll ever get to the cost of a pair of these. You know, these we can get these for just a few dollars, like three to five dollars. You can get a pair of, of eyeglasses and they're very fashionable, um, you know, spring hinges, et cetera. So but what I had what I, my, my gap analysis was, so I've got this great capability of the patient to be able to turn the dial and tell me they can see clearly but I don't have snap together eyeglasses. So in 2013, I just sat down on a, with a piece of paper and said, all right, how would I design a system that could do that? And fluid filled wasn't the answer because you know pressure, um, altitude, temperature, et cetera, changes the volume of the liquid. So therefore it wouldn't be calibrated, but a polycarbonate lens that has you know, an, inf you know, an infinitely or from negative six to positive six progressive change would allow that focal point to very naturally move back and forth and give you a very, very accurate reading. Even where you had two lenses that do the same thing, if one of those lenses gets just a little bit disheveled one way or the other, you're going to change by quarter or half a diopter and again, lose efficiency. So this was the most efficient way to come up with it, a single power lens that at the same distance from your eye as, as the prescription turning it and limiting again you limit the patient to this little viewing aperture so horizontally it's the same power and vertically it changes less than a quarter diopter they're going to come up with the clearest vision possible you know you give a five-year-old a pair of binoculars and just say turn the look through these and turn the dial you know 100 times out of 100 the kid's going to be able to see clearly they're going to figure it out they're like, oh okay yeah here it is and make it and make it clear sorry ambulance right <laughs> no worries they got an important job to do exactly very interesting. So I find, okay, so that it sounds like it took years to kind of master that. And you made one one type of comment as well that I think, you know, it, uh, I kind of went over my head, which is just a lack of it. You know, you think you, the vision is the most important, right? Like, hey, whatever can make me see. But at the same time, you forget that glasses, you know, and, and I don't have glasses. I don't wear glasses. So so for me, you know, I I haven't had, you know, to pers firsthand experience. But when it comes to glasses, Glasses, it's there's a fashion element as well. Like I know with sunglasses and stuff, so you have to consider that when you're creating these glasses, not just hey, is this going to see, but like you said, is this 22 year old kid going to wear it? Right. Yeah. You. You. You know, are, are glasses a fashion? What is it? I call it. Is it a medical necessity or a fashion accessory? And glasses are probably the only device that is both. People will wear Plano lenses because they look cool, and yet other people have to wear them. And uh, you know, even sunglasses are different you know sunglasses are are, are tool, but they're still an accessory i mean these these are cool sunglasses these make a 54 year old man look cool and how how cool is that you know they... <laughs> so you know that people don't want to put on something that makes them look look bad i mean i i grew up in the uk and i got national health eyeglasses and national health eyeglasses well they used to look like like this and this in 19 79 was not a cool look until Elvis Costello made it a cool look and then it then it became cool. You know, you everybody wants if, if it's for free or if it's, you know, ugly, um, there's there's some question as to is there any value to that? So 
you know, lots of things go in, like you said, lots of things go into the mix of not only does it help you, is it an, is it a medical medical necessity that we're solving, but is it a fashion accessory that you will wear? So we're even going down the road. Uh, will will 22 year old Ethiopian men wear prescription sunglasses, you know, that are blue? I don't know if you can see the blue there, but and the answer is yes. If we made these prescription glasses, which is our next, you know, the next iteration of our kit is to put tinted lenses in here. I think we'll get a lot more uptake of young drivers who, you know, the drive, the, the driving numbers in, in the developing world, the, the number of deaths is so much higher than it is here in, in, in the United States and in Europe. And one of the, you know, and, and if you talk to specialists, they'll go, oh, it's the infrastructure, it's no traffic lights, it's the vehicles don't have the safety belts and all this other stuff. And I agree, all of those are issues. But we've never studied and we've never come up with, the, you know, there has been a few studies, but glasses make a massive difference in your ability to react. If you can see six meters down the road clearly or 100 meters down the road clearly, you'll have a much safer time driving if you can see 100 meters down the road clearly. So we know that the numbers are higher. And now, now all we need to do is saturate an area with eyeglasses and determine do their accidents go down? So that's the next thing on our agenda as well is trying to figure out, trying to find the partners that can do that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's a great point. Driving. I mean, come on. Yep. That's, 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 I, yeah. I mean, again, you have, it's, yeah, we have to pass a driver's test, a vision test to get a driver's license. In much of the developing world, you don't. You just take a written test and then, and then away you go. Yeah. Which ugh, sounds a little scary, right? <laughs> you know, when you have all that, but. At the same time, it's not set up well, you know, the, the... Right. No, no. Yeah, every time I show up in a developing country, if I get assigned a driver, or if I, you know, I'll ask them, hey, can you read that license plate across the street? And that, if they read it off straight away, I'm like, oh, good to go. Yeah, let's go. And if they don't, if they're like, uh, two, eight, you know, and it's completely off, I go, hey, come over here. Let me, let me show you something. Yeah, have a look. <laughs> and I'll have them put it right there at the airport. I'll have them put it on and dial them, you know, and they'll make a pair of eyeglasses and just hand them to them because it's, you know, it. Why not? And one, it's made their life better, and two, you know, I can I can relax a little bit. I don't have to be, you know, so alert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have your own thing. Yeah, one of my favorite parts about the solution, just listening to you, to you chat and explain it a little bit as well, is just how big of an impact and an effect it has because it's one of those things again. And I know I've already mentioned this, but. You know, we just don't think about it. It's just not something that's thought of, you know. And so when you think about how important it is to see just for a community, an individual's life, a family, an economy, uh, for safety purposes when it comes to driving, doing work, like it's it's immense and it's huge. So I think that that is an amazing part. And, and something I, I want to ask you as well is. Why do you think the the gap and the problem just kind of existed there? Why do you why do you think that they weren't able to kind of come up with a with a solution like yourself earlier to try to get glasses to these communities? Do you think it just had something to do with uh, you know profit, money making, or or what 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 do you think kind of led to that? Yeah, uh, I think it's a, a whole host of things, and 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 you hit on a couple of them. You know, one is. And, and like I've heard stories from some some friends of mine from the Netherlands. There, there. I was talking to their mother, and she said, you know, in 1945, if you needed eyeglasses, there was a salesman. They would come by with with a, with a suitcase, and they were either donated eyeglasses or found eyeglasses or ready mades. And you didn't go to an optometrist. You just tried on, tried and tried and tried and tried until you got something that worked, and that was and that was good enough. 
but since then obviously we've we sort of graduated into this refined medical experience that you you know so you back for the eye health exam the air pup you know their ocular pressure you know all of these things retinal scans and so on that we've, we've got such this high level of care that we say this is this is the standard so now we're trying to apply that standard to a resource poor country that does not have retinal scanners or you know any of the equipment or any of the trained personnel to use it to solve the problem so a lot of reluctance that i got from not a, a, a few of the groups are like, no, 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 you, it's unethical for you to do this. And I'm like, is it unethical to hand out Plumpy Nut? Well, no, because you're saving lives. And I'm like, okay, so this is not life-saving? Well, you know, and they go back and forth. You know, they, 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 the, the 8%, like I said, 92% of the problem is refractive error. 8% is, is these other pathologies. Cataracts, glaucoma, corneal opacity, macular degeneration, pterygiums, and so on. All of these other, these other trachoma, you know, these things. And you need an optometrist or an ophthalmic nurse or an ophthalmologist to solve those. But they won't, they don't want me to, to address the other 92%. I'm like, that makes no sense to me. So that's one issue. Now, a lot of optometrists and, and ophthalmologists are on our team and that, yes, this is great. We can take these bites and we can take bigger bites and bigger bites and bigger bites, and then we'll have the problem solved. And they're supporters and champions of this. So it makes it work. So it's not the community at large. It's just a few members. And then the eyeglasses community uh, is obviously headed by one massive company, Luxottica and Essilor. Used to be two companies, Italian and French. They have since joined together. They are doing a lot of work in this area. They have a company called 2.5 NVG. That's 2.5 billion new vision generation. And the goal of that, of course, is to sell glasses down as low as they can on the on the pyramid. But they also are they're also kind of bound by or restrained by their size and by the, the industry. The majority of their customers are are the optometrists and the high end optometrists. And if they were to my opinion, you know, if they were to say, all right, let's let's lower that educational threshold and get others to sell eyeglasses, that would probably not be very popular with their larger customers. I, I could be wrong with that sort of my my feeling uh, on, on that issue. So they're gonna they're sort of restrained by 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 that. Um, you know, once the regulations regulations get passed, or people this is more accepted, and the and the eye health communities within these countries says, yeah, this is a, this is a way we can solve this problem. That'll probably change. But for now, I'm you know we we our self refraction folks are kind of the you know the start of I think a movement to say let's you know let's let's change the way we can deliver eyeglasses at least for this group of people and this then this group and then this group until we can get to that really large group that can be solved at three dollars a piece instead of you know a, a forty dollar eye test and then a 25 or 30 dollar pair of eyeglasses and and so on and so forth that just isn't sustainable when you're living living on less than a dollar a day you, know, you have to be able to it has to be sustainable if it's going to work and the cost of conventional is just too much Mm, yeah, I definitely see how that could be. It, it just, yeah, it's a whole systemic process right now where, you know, you go into the glasses and it's just steps and steps. It's far removed from, you know, like you said in the, what, the 40s, I believe you said it was with the salesman coming around with glasses and, hey, give it a try. Can you see? Great. All right, move it along, you know? So, yeah, so I definitely see how that causes an issue, especially with 
especially when you look at the global scale as a whole and just how fast economies have moved within the last hundred years and things of that nature. And, you know, developing countries are part of that. They're moving quicker than they ever have as well, but they're still behind in, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're leapfrogging in a lot of a lot of areas. Like, exactly. You know, they're not they're not installing copper uh, networks and, and, and phone networks. They're going straight to cellular and straight to, you know, and so on for obvious reasons. It just doesn't make any sense to go backwards in technology and install it. And I think this this could be the same thing. One of the things you mentioned that, that kind of triggered a memory or a thought was that I've been having too is is you know there's there's two issues to to overcome. Uh, one is access, you know, and we, we talked about that. But the other is the knowledge that the eye is an organ that varies from person to person, and that glasses are the tool that corrects it. Like that, like those school teachers, they had no clue that these children that this small, you know, this portion of children had an eye issue or that their their eye was any different than theirs or the other students. You know, when they see eyeglasses, they think reading glasses for old people and they think sunglasses for the really cool, relatively rich people. They don't equate eyeglasses to distance vision. So that piece of knowledge, that that's the other thing that this does is allows people to see, oh, you know, my vision is different. And, you know, and then you, when we take the test, you know, we use this big e-chart, we'll test people with 20-20 vision and they'll go all the way down to the bottom and, and they'll tell me exactly where the e goes. Oh, we, we use a tumbling e. And then they'll watch their classmates or their fellow teachers take the test and they'll only be able to see like two or three lines from the top and go, hmm, I, I had no idea that they had a, an issue like that because you just, you don't talk about it. You don't sit there squinting going, can you see that goat? I can't see the goat. That's just, you just move on, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and for those of you listening that, that can't get a visual representation of the glasses in, in the U-Vision kit, be sure to check out the video on YouTube, or of course you can uh, see us on our Instagram page uh, and Facebook at Talking Solutions Podcast. And uh, we should have some examples on there as well, because it's definitely worth checking out and having a look at it. And of course you can glow, uh, go over to the to uh, Global Vision's website, which is gv2020.org. Uh, Kevin, uh, I want to ask uh, as well, we've talked a little bit about the some of the challenges that you face uh, along the way you know it's trying to convince people hey the eye is an organ you know you need to train hey you know there are people that say well that's not the correct system and the correct process in order to get glasses it, you know it could be an eight percent so we can't just focus on the 92 i want to see what your thoughts are about the future i mean you mentioned that you kind of see that potentially changing as the optometrists and they get more and more education around it as well do you think this is going to be an issue that 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 we can kind of hopefully eradicate and really solve uh within the the coming decades I really do. I think that people are coming around and, and organizations are coming around to tackling new ways and new and innovative ways to kind of solve some of these larger issues. And, and glasses are they're un, It's unique in so many ways. You know, like I said, it's a fashion accessory. It's a medical necessity and so on. So as long as I don't go into a community and say, all right, we're going to train these completely separate non optometry people over here to, to do this. An optometrist, you're over here doing your thing. You know that that that's a, that's a that's not good for anybody. That's not good for the for the people getting the glasses that have no recourse to go up higher, and that's not good for the optometrist because they're not getting access to these customers. So everywhere I go, I say let's find that next echelon of care, whether it's a community health center that has someone trained in in, in ocular pathology, or you know, the district hospitals and so on, all the way back up until they get to an eye health professional. Let's link all of these systems. But meanwhile, let's grow these bottom systems, whether it's community health workers, whether it's teachers, whether it's pharmacies, whether it's, you know, traveling salesmen, whether it's churches and faith-based groups, 
all of these people that these groups that are have direct access to the people that we care about the people at the bottom of this pyramid you know can screen and dispense eyeglasses can you determine does the person see well will glasses solve the problem that you know because they can't see well will glasses solve that problem and then let's make a pair of glasses and then double test test that it works so i definitely see growth in the bottom layer possible and probable so that within the eye health community they can be part of and, and can grow this system themselves so whether it starts with optometrists saying all right i'm going to hire 20 people to go to all these remote villages around the city that that i don't go to um, they're going to sell glasses at five dollars a person and you know i'll make my my cut on that and but they're also going to refer people to me if they have massive astigmatism or if they have a visible pathology or if they just cannot see no matter what they do they can't see they're going to refer them or i'm going to go and see them you know once a year i'll go to these villages you know set up all these different possible systems that allow for taking care of the bottom and then moving people up and up and up to the next level until everyone gets kind of a universal eye health program and whether that's you know a program that is private uh, but at low cost or whether it's government at, at, at low cost and so on all of these things are better the cheaper you, that you can get the a quality product to the person at the base of the pyramid if it costs the government 50 bucks to give a citizen a pair of eyeglasses they're going to be much less likely or they can do 10 times as many people if it costs only five bucks to do it so they'll, they'll have a lot more that money will go a lot further if they can do it at a lot cheaper price having that optometrist use the system and, and try to get you know a thousand people a pair of eyeglasses is way more expensive than having 10 community health workers get those same people done in a day and faster for them to do it in a day so yeah i do see growth i see this as a as an elegant solution for you know for, for very low cost for massive amounts of people and i think as long as we can embrace you know that the the streamlineness or the the that the, the matriculation of those skills down the, the set i think will be a lot it'll be a lot better for everyone love it yeah tackling the issue at the root instead of focusing up on the top and trying to manage up there i mean that never usually works as well so going down to the actual root building up those from the bottom up uh i think is really effective on that front as well uh, curious to hear a little bit about maybe some of those challenges. I mean, you've addressed them a little bit, but maybe to more specifically, when you're trying to get these pitches, you know, or I'm sorry, when you're pitching these glasses to organizations, to governments, to things of that nature as well, what type of feedback have you been getting and how did it start? What's it at now? And kind of that process in terms of them trying to, to accept that and, and, you know, trying to get them to say, hey, this is 92% of the people, this, this can help. Yeah, I mean... Even the Ministry of Health, you know, some of the ministers of education, you know, they don't really think about the numbers, the, 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 the amount of people that are living in their communities that have an undiagnosed refractive error. So I'll just use the basic numbers, um, you know, that we get from the from from surrounding countries or wherever we can find this data. And let's just, you know, so anywhere from 10 percent to 20 percent of a population between the ages of, you know, six and 45 are going to have myopia. So let's just say it's 10% as on the low side for Ethiopia. You know, they have 100 million people in the country. That's 10 million people. They're, they're solving 5%. Let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. They're solving 10% of the problem. Okay, that's, that's 9 million people. So now you have 9 million people in their country that we're very confident, it's, it's probably going to be higher, very confident that they have, they have refractive error and they have no access 
to getting that problem solved. So if just highlighting that issue in any country, whether it's a country of a million people or a country of 100 million people, it's sort of like, huh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. You know, so that's that's one. Then you show them the solution and, and you know, you'll get a lot of questions. Or what about astigmatism or what about these other pathologies? And you walk like we you know, like I did here. We walk through those. All right. These are the issues and this is how you overcome them. And this is what you could do. It doesn't take long. And they all go, yeah, we can do this, you know, and then they, they quickly move into solution oriented implementation of a tool that I didn't have before. And those are the best. You know, when you get when you get someone who's just like, yeah, I, I can see the my, here's I see where my end state is. My end state is as a national eye health coordinator, I have 100 percent coverage of refractive error and a referral mechanism of 100 percent coverage for macular degeneration and, and cataracts and trachoma. And I can do all of this and they can do it with the resources that they have because all of those numbers become manageable. So the sale is easy once you get the right person who's in the position of authority, who who sees that, you know, their 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 job is to take care of the eye health of their nation. And when you can give them a tool that quickly gobbles up you know, 80, 90 percent of their refractive error problem, you know, the 92 percent problem and 80, 90 percent of that is taken care of with these. They can quickly manage that remaining, you know, 12 percent, 10 percent, whatever it is of people that need astigmatism. And then they can, you know, and so on. And they'll find the other people with these other eye pathologies because the system itself is all about looking in the eye and, and determining, yeah, I, this person needs glasses, does not need eyeglasses, needs something else. Um, so it's an easy, it, it is a relatively easy sell, but you, they still don't know about me. <laughs> so it's, a, it's still... Oh, so it's creating the awareness. Exactly, exactly. Mm, okay, and, and what types of things... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing to try to create more awareness about it. I mean, obviously being on a podcast helps, uh, but some other things um, But some other things that you're doing to push this narrative out there, because again, uh, you know, I, I really do think it's... Uh, you're you're at a disadvantage because it's something nobody thinks about, and it's and it's something that you know, especially in in a lot of the countries, and you know, the U.S., the Europe, and Australia, and you know, Canada, and parts of South America, places like that, uh, is something that frankly they've never seen, so they don't really maybe. I don't want to say care about it because I think they care about it if they were aware of it, but just one of those things that it wouldn't even cross their mind. Yes. So what types of things are you doing to create some awareness and, and market yourself so we, so we can get this solution out there and get you in front of these people? No, you're, you're yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I think if, if more people knew about this as, and, and the, the, the impact that it had on people and knew that it was a problem and knew that the cost was too great, you know, and so on, all these other issues that we've, that we've outlined today, um, I think we would get, we would get more traction. You know, like the New York Times did a front page article in 2018. I thought, man, this is it. They're, this is going to put us on the map. And, you know, it was the front page for, for one day and, and, and then nothing. But it, these things take time. It really does take time. And I, I can see progress in the acceptance of self-refraction as, as a solution in the body of work that proves that it, you know, so we've done clinical trials and we've done field trials and, you know, the Wilmer Eye Institute at Johns Hopkins did trials and we've got Orbis doing trials in, in, in Mongolia, et cetera. We did a, tr a trial in Vietnam for kids. So having a, you know, a body of papers and, and data that shows, yeah, this works for eight-year-olds, this works for 12-year-olds, this works for 42-year-olds, this work, you know, and so on is great. 
there's people are studying the problem more. There's now more papers, like I mentioned, that paper on the tea pickers. Uh, there's other studies going on that show that the positive impact that access to eyeglasses has. All of those are making a difference. How do I sell? It's finding, it's going, well, before COVID, it was going to those conferences, you know, those, those health conferences, those International Agency for the Prevention of Blindness conferences, finding the ministers of health and the, and the national eye health coordinators, and just talking to them and saying, look, you know, this, check out this device, check out this, this system. And sometimes it's effective. They get inundated with all kinds of, you know, great ideas and, and so on. But this is, you know, is it is it too simple? And they and they go and they move on. You know, so I, I don't know what exactly works. Um, the Minister of Health that I'm, you know, I'm having luck. I have luck with one country in South America. In the very, very early stages of starting up a national eye health program, it was the Minister of Health himself that that I got in to see through some connections I had at Johns Hopkins that you know, have, have sort of started, it's like, hey, th this is great. We can make it, you know, it's a new government and, you know, they just taken over from the, you know, the old government and they're like, yeah, we can make an impact and and they really want to and they really can. So getting, you know, getting his eye health coordinator on board and, you know, having those conversations with him, starting trials, starting, you know, rollout and so on. And having that one country national program check in the box, I think is going to be, it's going to be great to show like, oh, let's, let, let me show you the successful nation here that has has now has a national eye health program that includes you know the poorest of the poor getting their first pair of eyeglasses for free or whatever whatever they come up with so that everyone has access and everyone can be reach their maximum potential not limited by poor vision that they had nothing you know that they were just born with and they had nothing to do about so yeah it's getting it's getting those those people to identify to show it and then being able to point to large groups like the red cross like the mennonite the Mennonite Church is doing stuff. You know, all of these organizations, their articles are being written about them and, you know, studies are happening and these sort of things. So it's it's slow going and I feel like it's a, an uphill, like pushing a string uphill uh, sometimes. But uh, I'm sort of like, I'm here. I've got the solution. Come find me. You know, I can help. It's, it's not, I think it was, um, who was it? Was it Ralph Waldo Emerson? He said, you know, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be the path to your door. And I used to, when I was a kid, I thought, man, that's great. You just, you, you build something that, you know, that everybody needs and everybody wants. You, you, you're going to have to be, you're going to be turning them away because everyone's going to want one. And I know now that in, in, in our day and age, when the information is just you, a fire hose of information and a fire hose of ads and all this other stuff, it takes a lot to stand out. You know, even if it's the greatest invention in the world, people are, it's just going to take a while for, for it to kind of. And then, and then it, you know, as long as some TikTok influencer starts wearing the UC around, or you know, I mean, who knows what why things go quote unquote viral? It's odd. It's, it's weird. It's like nothing, 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 and then it's going to be like this. I'm hoping that happens to me. I'm hoping that you know we get that sort of attention and like boom, here we are. Yeah, let's solve this. Let's solve the world's problem. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Get yourself in front of some of those TikTok, Instagram influencers, and maybe we can uh, we can do it. You know, I wouldn't. I, you know, that may not be a bad idea to at least uh, look at into out there because I'm, I'm sure there are some. In, I mean, uh, I'm sure there are some influencers out there that would be really would think that's such a cool solution, and especially with the the positivity around it and the type of you know great things it would provide for people. You know, it, it could work. It may not be a bad idea. 
Right. What good is visual art if the person has no clear vision? Exactly. Right? Be like, hey, you could reach more people with your audience if, uh, yeah. <laughs> if, no. they, if they could see. Yeah, exactly. If they could see properly. No, yeah. I think you're 100% right. I mean, if it works out with, with the government and the country down in South America, you know, now you have a nation that you can talk to and say, hey, this is implemented into their plan. These are the results. It's really, really affordable. Uh, I mean, could be free potentially. Obviously, the government will you know deal with all that stuff. But you know, it, it's 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 an opportunity to really grow your nation and grow your people, build up your economy. Like we talked about earlier in the podcast, there are just so many things linked with vision that if you don't have vision, uh, you know, it's like we said, you take it for granted. Uh, you know, it can really limit your ability as a human to do the things we want to do. Kevin, I, I do want to ask you a little bit because uh, we've been so in, in, engaged. In in this conversation, I find it so fascinating, the solution that you have. But I, I want to know a little bit more about your background, because your background is really interesting as well. A, a Marine, a U.S. Naval graduate, if I'm not mistaken. Tell us a little bit. You said you grew up in the U.K. as well, which I wasn't aware of. So so tell us a little bit about your journey and then where, how you got to this point. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was uh, an Air Force brat. My dad was uh, in the United States Air Force. Um, I was born in Turkey and then about, you know, a few months old, I moved to the UK, lived there until high school, uh, high school in Florida. Uh, then I enlisted in the Navy, it was in the Navy first. So I was an enlisted man. I was a submariner. So I was on nuclear sub out of Pearl Harbor and a uh, machinist mate. So I got to fix things on the, on the boat, which was great. Uh, and from there I applied for the Naval Academy and got into the Naval Academy. And then while at Navy, I really started to like what the Marine Corps mission was. I realized that I wasn't just a skinny kid out of high school. I could actually keep up with people running and, you know, pull-ups and push-ups. And I said, oh, I can I can do that. So I decided to become a Marine. You know, I rode, I rode crew, which really helped in that, on that physical side. So I became a Marine, did 20 years in the Marine Corps, various jobs in the Corps. Um, loved it. Okinawa, Japan, Texas, you know, to my Navy's mine worker. I mean, all kinds of really interesting jobs. But the joint, the joint command job at uh, UCOM was was where I, you know, as the humanitarian assistance guy, it really turned my head towards the humanitarian world and and everyone involved in the humanitarian world. And there was so much good work going on. Uh, when I retired, I said, yeah, I want to kind of keep going on that. And I didn't actually invent this device right away. So anyway, so I retired uh, in 2009 and started working with uh, the fluid filled eyeglasses. So I was so I'd, I'd, I'd used these first in um, in South in Africa. Oh, you can see the bubble there. See that bubble? Those get really distracting when you're uh, when you're trying to put them on and they look through these little, the bubble the oil goes through. Anyway, so I started I started Global Vision to actually start using these and did a few outreaches in Malawi and Liberia, etc. You know, so every year I was still working in a defense contracting job and things like that, just doing this as a hobby. And in 2013, I'd stopped doing the fluid field. I'd realized that, you know, this just wasn't a viable solution. It was too expensive per person. They were too, you know, non-aesthetically pleasing. I couldn't get enough people to wear them. Uh, and it just wasn't seen as a viable solution when, you know, these, just regular glasses were so much better. So that's when I came up so 2013, I'm sitting um, at home at my at my kitchen table saying, what do we need? And I designed a lens, called a friend of mine in the UK that made lenses and said, hey, here's what, these are my parameters. Can you make me one? They made a lens. They, they cut it out of uh, on a CNC, out of plastic, sent it to me. And at the time, my youngest son was 10 years old. He'd gotten his first prescription. He needed eyeglasses. And I so I cut a hole in a piece of paper, 
and had him hold up the card and look through it an eye chart and he said right there dad and i marked it and then i counted the tick marks and his prescription and what he had found were an exact match and i said oh n of one is 100 you know i'm a uh, hundred clinical trials are over no, <laughs> but i knew i was onto something but all of those experiences whether it was you know having to do calibration on a submarine you know that i i knew that gauges that were relied on fluid were notorious you know they had to be calibrated very very often so i said okay so fluid is not my my product of choice in mechanical calibration you know where like i said where there's two lenses if one moves that's not my you know so simplify 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 you know i was a science major at the naval academy so physics and you know so i took several courses in different physics and uh you know underwater acoustics and sonar, which had no no bearing on this whatsoever, but it was just a really cool class. Taught by uh, uh, Wendy Lawrence, who was, you know, the astronaut. So I was pretty, 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 it was pretty cool having an astronaut. As it was, she was, this was before her astronaut days. Anyway, so all of these experiences kind of culminated in, in, a, in a guy who's familiar with a problem that, that not many people know about, this, this massive global need for eyeglasses especially non-optometrists. You know, optometrists are probably aware, um, maybe not, I don't know, um, of the greater need around the world with the right education and skill set to sort of come up with a simple, really simple solution, not being clouded by, you know, all of the massive technology that's out there, like, you know, how a ferropter works and and how a, uh, what's the, what's the hit a button, the uh, autorefractor, you know. The solution, if, if I mean, there's, there's some fantastic autorefractors coming out of MIT. They've designed some beautiful autorefractors, but they're still, you know, $1,500 to $2,500 a piece, and you still get a prescription that you you need all kinds of equipment to make a pair of eyeglasses. So, so great, I'm negative two with two degrees of cylinder at a 165 degrees. So now I have to have a person who knows how to take that massive lens, turn it to 165, cut it to fit, and put it in here with the right pupillary distance, you know, and so on. So you just add on all of these other things. And I said, nope, simple, 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 simple. I took it down to the basic level. So I, yeah, I don't know why me and, and why I got this education and this and this exposure, but it's just the kind of the way it worked out. So I feel very fortunate to have, you know, had had the right skill set and the right friends, to be honest, the right friends that could help me through this exposure to this world of optics and this world of, of plastics manufacturers and to kind of get to where I am now. So I've, I've had lots of help. So some friends in the UK that build lenses, uh, David Crosby has been phenomenal. Um, Poly One, I, now they're called Aviant uh, Corporation. Uh, they took me on board as a collaboration for a cause. They helped me move my pencil sketch to CAD and then helped me get with the injection molding. Yeah, it's, it's just been a wild, wild ride. I won the million dollar creator award from WeWork a couple years ago. That money helped me get that got me um, the funds that I needed to go to injection molding, which is not which is not inexpensive, as you can imagine, uh, and sort of grow that profile and grow the capability, the logistics capability to, to to build the supply chain. And the supply chain is is like everything. It's it, you know the, the world runs on logistics, and if you don't have that supply chain that can get this kit matched up with these lenses matched up with these frames in the right place at the right person at the right time, it's never gonna work anyway. So yeah, it's 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 been a real real journey, that's for sure. <laughs>
Well, I think it's fantastic what you said. You said like, oh, I don't know why me that I, you know, we had the accumulation of all these skills and stuff. But I think the most important part of that is that you're embracing it and you're going forward with it and you're pushing it and you're really trying to get this problem solved with a fantastic affordable solution uh, that can literally change the lives of lots of people across the globe. Before I let you go here, Kevin, I, I want to talk, uh, I want to ask you, what's the mission? What is the number one mission for Global Vision 2020? Tell us a little bit about that, why you founded your principles of the company. Yeah, the the, the end state of our, our, our company, of course, is is equal access to the tool that, that, that changed my life. As you know, I got my first pair of glasses at seven years old and I lived in a country where that was, you know, available. I started running into things and tables and hitting my head on, you know, on things. And my mom said, huh, let's, uh, uh, this kid ain't right. But uh, let's let's get his eyes checked. And sure enough, I needed eyeglasses. That is I have two sons that both need eyeglasses, and I cannot imagine how I would feel if one if I if I, I they had they needed eyeglasses and I couldn't provide them, or that I you know and if I knew they needed them and so you know all of these things. I just I just would feel so unfair that you know my boys can't they can't read the chalkboard, they can't drive, they can't do all of these things because they don't have access to this this simple life saving or life changing device. So my goal is to ensure that the two and a half billion people that currently live without eyeglasses have access to them. And all I can't do that myself. You know, I need these partners. I need these pharmacy groups and these community health workers and these ministries of health and ministries of education, ministries of transportation to also embrace. We have a problem with our with the people that we you know, that, that we support, whether they're drivers, whether they're students, whether they're citizens, uh, or whether they're all three that cannot live, you know, I mean, people, someone who's visually impaired and cannot get to 2020 is going to look at me and go, ah, you know, you can live a full life without, without clear vision. Well, of course you can. You know, there are, there are many people who are visually impaired for, for many, many reasons that live a complete full life, but it's still a different life. There are no wheelchair ramps in in developing in in rural africa you if you if you are in a wheelchair in rural africa you just deal with that gap glasses aren't aren't that glasses are something that should be available and should can solve a problem and make you equal pilots with 2200 vision can get corrected to 2020 vision and can fly a plane that's impossible if you are in the developing world and have no access to eyeglasses so the goal of my company is to get the cost as low as possible and get access as high as possible in these regions through whatever channel works and is ethical and is supported by, you know, that, that tiered care, that, that echelon of care to, to move people up to that next level. Beautiful. Kevin, how can people help? Uh, what are some things people can do out there to, to either support Global Vision 2020 in terms of donations or things of that nature as well, or support via websites or following social media channels or, or just whatever? What are some things that people can do to, to help kind of spread awareness and, and help the message for Global Vision 2020 to, to provide equal access to, to eye care across the globe? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you know, without without the help of, of friends, family and, and, and supporters, you know, we, we wouldn't be where we are. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so donations are always appreciated. Uh, they can you can donate right on our website. Um, there's a there's a link to, to donate. We are a 501c3. You know we are a, a, a charitable organization, so it's fully tax deductible. Um, we have a Facebook page. We have Instagram. 
I'm not very good at that. <laughs> so, um, but I'll, I, I try to put stuff on there or, or share stuff from organizations that are using our kits. We'll put that on there so you can see them in action. Right. The influencers, right? The influencers. Yeah, yeah the influencers. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Uh, so if you're an influencer that travels to the developing world and you want to do something that is life-changing for the people that you support and yourself, call me up. We'll, we'll get you a backpack. You can you can go to the middle of you know some remote village, set up your vision testing screening facility, and screen people and get them eyeglasses, and then refer them up if they if they need more. Uh, it's it's absolutely life changing. So that would be great. Churches that that go on mission trips, you know, I'd love to to hear from them. Uh, if if you are part of an organization that supports hospitals or orphanages or clinics or anything else overseas. Those would be great people to talk to. Just getting that word out that, you know, here's this massive problem that would currently there appears to be no solution. Here's a solution. Let's link these two together. That would just be phenomenal. Beautiful, Kevin. Uh, anything that you would like to add personally about Global Vision 2020, about the UC Vision Kit or, or anything in general um, that you just want to throw out there? No, I think we've, we've covered everything. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Will, to, to kind of get get that information out there. Hopefully someone will, uh, you know, some of your listeners will, it'll, it'll click and they'll be like, yeah, I hadn't thought about it either. Let's, let's see what we can do to solve this problem. Again, it's, it is super simple. It is super cheap and really anyone can do it. We, I've, I've trained people with a second grade education, you know, to use the system and they've done, and they've done wonders with it. They're really, as long as you're a people person, um, it's a real easy system to use. So again, thanks for the opportunity. Well, it's, it's been great. Kevin White, the founder of Global Vision 2020, trying to provide equal access to vision resources across the globe. Kevin, thank you so much. I've really, really, really enjoyed getting to an opportunity to learn about your solution today. So thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks, Will. That's Kevin White, once again, the founder of Global Vision 2020, joining us on this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. To Kevin is doing a great job out there. Of course, like you said, you can go to his website to support, to denote it's tax deductible. Okay. Global Vision 2020, that's gv2020.org. You can go there uh, to donate or to gather more information about it and figure out other ways that, that you can help out. And of course, we'll have his. Stuff all over our Instagram pages on Talking Solutions podcast for the week. So be sure to go check out the, the content on there as well. That's going to conclude this edition of the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. Looking forward to speaking with you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode, and you can find out more about our featured guests and their solutions on our Talking Solutions podcast Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channels as we focus on highlighting individuals providing solutions to social problems and bringing optimism to the world.